Welcome to Winning the Game of Life. Known as Jungle Man at the poker table, Dan Cates has gone from being the bag boy at McDonald's with no friends and a dead-end future to winning over $11 million in online poker, over $7 million in live tournaments, and is a World Series of Poker champion. He has found fame, fortune, been to incredible places all over the globe, and connected with some amazing people. It looks like Dan has won the game of life, but that is not the way he sees it. Dan sees winning as doing his part to help everyone in the world win. He knows he can't do it alone, though. He knows it's going to take a collective effort with anyone that wants to see the same thing. Join us each week as Dan starts the conversation to do just that. On the show, Dan will interview incredible individuals that have made the impossible possible. Those that have won the game of life and those that want to help others win as well. Hit subscribe and follow Dan's journey on Instagram at TheDanCates. Let's explore anyone and anything that can help make this world a better place. Increasing the odds of us all winning the game of life. And now, here's your host, Dan Cates. What's up, guys? This is Dan Cates here, and I've got one of the top 10 biggest women winners at poker, now uh, a pretty key, com- well, solidly in the effective altruism movement. I don't know how well, how big of a part you're playing, but definitely one of the, big, the biggest parts in the poker world, and also a science show presenter, I understand, and a TV presenter. Uh, I didn't know you've had such an extensive history. Oh, and I also learned you were the lead guitarist for Dissonance, the band. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we were a shitty university band um, that I think we played two gigs um, and then we just rehearsed a lot. And uh, yeah, I, I can't play guitar anymore, unfortunately. But it's still pretty fucking cool. I, yeah, I like- it was cool at the time. I feel like all the uh, there must be tons of poker nerds out there, like um, not uh, like having like mini. How do I make this PG? Uh, mini, mini, like like crushes or bigger crushes on you after hearing this. Even <laughs> I'm like a little like, whoa, this is this is cool. Like it, it would be nice to hear, you know, when I talk to girls, like they're telling me all these niche sort of things, um, especially doing something in metal or whatever but it's quite rare, well, whatever. Uh, add that to your list of impressive feats of sorts or beat type thing, beat related things. Um, why don't you go ahead and start with how you got involved into poker and any other interesting facts that the audience that I may not be aware of? Sure, um, well, I imagine a lot of, you know, this audience will be familiar with my backstory, but just to say it briefly, um, I, graduated uni um after studying physics astrophysics planning on like continuing it down that route um needed to make some money uh obviously like most people do when they graduate uh so instead of getting a real job um or physics. i wanted to take it huh? i don't know what you're gonna do with physics good luck well yeah uh, it's very hard to make money i think you know even the top physicists you know your best bet is to uh, you know your your the greatest prize you can win probably is a Nobel prize. And even then that's only a million dollars. And you often split it between people uh, not to, you know, poo poo the Nobel prize, but like you work your entire life. And like, that's the the maximum payout in terms of a, (laughs) 
Um, I mean, I guess you can get some kind of like corporate gigs and such, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't think people go into physics for the money. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I wanted to take a gap here because I wasn't sure if like a, a career in research was quite right for me. Um, and on that gap year, I started applying for TV game shows and it was on one of these game shows uh, that I learned to play poker. Uh, it, it sort of dis- disguised itself as like a, you know, some kind of like mystery quiz show. It was like, could you use your powers of skill and deception to win a hundred thousand pounds? And they wanted to get um, basically five complete beginners, um, teach them how to play and then uh, see who was the best. Um, and I didn't end up winning it. Um, because a uh, combination of things, I well, I ran us straight into a flush. Um, it, it was pretty not was a great strategy. Well, no, not a great strategy, but on top of that, much worse. Very embarrassingly, I missed. I didn't notice that there were four diamonds on the board, and I like check raised the river if I remember right for basically my entire stack. And then I noticed there were four diamonds, and I knew I had like two black cards. I can't remember what my hand was. Um, I just had a straight, and like gasped, like audibly gasped. Um, when I noticed, I was like, <gasps> sorry, like the, like the, the, the worst, the worst poker face you've ever seen. Um, and my opponent who was, you know, also just as much a beginner as me, we've both been playing for a few weeks. You know, that's how bad my reaction was that he realized that like, I didn't notice the four diamonds. So then he set me all in and I had to fold because it was obviously had, uh, <laughs> it was very bad anyway. Um, so I didn't win that show, but I just completely fell in love with poker. Like I loved it so much. Um, so started playing a bit more, um, you know, going down to like a local card club in London called The Gut Shop. And um, funny enough, played the first ever tournament I ever, you know, uh, I ever played. It's like a five pound rebuy or something. Um, absolute carnage, just like short stack nightmare. Um, and I won it out of like 120 people. So then assumed I just must be insanely talented at this game um, and enough to like put physics and everything else on hold and to then like actually immerse myself in the industry. Um, which I think when I've spoken to a lot of players who are now like, who turned, turned into professionals at some point, um, they all have a similar origin story and that they won or had like a lot of success in one of the, you know, the first few tournaments they ever played. Um, so I think there's like some kind of selection effect going on where, I mean, obviously people who are more naturally talented at the game are more likely to turn professional, but I think that there's a big element of people who also got lucky early on because they just like got that insane dopamine reward that winning a tournament gives you. Um, and also this like ex- extra confidence boost because I mean, when you're a beginner, you haven't, you can't assess whether when you win is because you got lucky or because you got skillful. You just have no idea what skill really is in poker. Um, and that definitely applied to me. Like I just came away thinking I was the best. I'm like, clear. I'm like, well, if I've only been playing for a few weeks and I win this and these people play all the time, I must be amazing. And it just gave me this like false confidence. this like useful, this, uh, as, as Kate Hall calls it, useful fiction um, that just deluded me, but gave me so much confidence that I, I like, carried that into every game I played and I, and it definitely sort of bolstered my results for a while. Well, I can, um, I will say a couple things. So it sounds like, yeah, if you, if you have that and you don't let it go too far to your head, it can give you like a little, like a booster into, into getting, getting into something. I had a much, I had a different sort of false confidence of sorts, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, I mean, it's affecting me now. I actually had the opposite thing happen. I got crushed, but because I was so successful at other things, um, well, it worked out for me in poker, but maybe not in other stuff after succeeding. I mean, 
finding out how tough the real world is is a bit uh eye-opening you could say mm -hmm. let's put it that way. uh it's it's always funny to see how people's stories of what happened led them to well hopefully success and i think there's something to learn from that and uh yeah the the idea of how confidence like i just personally find the the way that confidence uh uh how can you say i want to say manifests into success or vice versa um it was interesting just to find a path um more successful and like do it what they mean want to do but this seems like a big subject yeah i mean it's it's, it's definitely a, a huge subject i mean poker would actually be if there was a way to devise a study um poker would be a great um area to 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 study this at this like phenomenon in because you have something that is a combination of skill and luck you have a lot of different players so if there's a way you could take a, like a fresh cohort of new players who are considering you know they like the game but they're they're very much recreational they're very new to the game and like track their results track how they all do like and i'm talking mostly about like tournament poker um just because it's obviously something that's much more streaky and 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 you know you win a tournament it's much you're much more likely to come away deluded than if you just win a, like a few nights in a row at a cash game um right. and then if there was a way to like objectively measure their like bravado or delusion level um and i imagine there are like like a list of questions you could you could ask them um and you know put them on a sort of a, a rating scale of you know in terms of just so much self-belief like so someone who's got like the most self-belief in the world in poker might be like phil helmuth for example and <laughs> i think he like, knows he's what's clearly up. doing something he, right i think huh? he knows he i think he part of him knows that he's a bit he's aware of what's what's going on to be honest from what i've seen in terms of well, what do you mean i think he plays it up a lot and doesn't really i think subconsciously he can see that you know maybe he's not as good as he likes to believe uh i mean he's got something going on for sure it just feels like he just doesn't go there if you know what i mean mentally mm. and but so valuable to play up this this persona for him that he just keeps doing. I, no, I think he, I think he does by and large. Like if you like, I've talked to him about it, and he's like, he's like, no, I, you know, it's like his mantra. He's like, I, I, I will be the greatest. I am the greatest. And you say that to yourself enough, you will start to believe it. And clearly, it's like, I mean, the guy's track record is unbelievable. Like he won another bracelet. He almost won like two or three <laughs> bracelets this summer. Like, and yet he plays in such an unconventional style. Um, I, I have a, I have a sort of theory that he's just like broken, he's broken the poker gods simulation somehow, and he doesn't like quite realize it. And like it's just like he bends he bends the universe to his will, but in an unintended way. Um, and it's magic. I mean, it's just, yeah, like he calls it white magic, right? Like he literally says, like hashtag white magic. He's always tweeting it, and like I don't know, there's there's something to this um, because you know, like obviously, like the poker world gives him shit all the time, saying like, yeah, but mate, you you know, you don't you're not following the math and so on, you're not following the game theory, but doesn't like I, I haven't watched enough of his play to know whether he's actually playing, you know, how close or how far away from GTO he is, so I can't comment on that. But pretty from what far, I hear, yeah. he, he's pretty, pretty far, right? Far. <laughs> so you know, that's isn't that interesting that it's like 
it's still working. Um, I think it's interesting, but I think it's really funny. <laughs> I, I oh, kind it's of hilarious. understand oh, it. I love it. I, I, I kind of understand it. I think that he plays this, he, he just, there's a lot of people that like are over aggressive against him in all these ways that aren't very good. Let's, let's put it that right. way. And this can be quite a big mistake in yes. certain contexts. Absolutely. And he does know how to capitalize upon that. Like he, he, I mean, I think he, he, he probably has better intuitions than, than most even top pros, you know, like of, of like the GTO pros who also have good intuitions about poker, you know, they'll have good gut feelings. I think Overall, Phil is probably his are even better honed because um, I mean he's got more experience than most like you know leading you know people like you even he's been playing for longer right yeah. um, you know that said if it was you and him heads up I I know where my money's going but oh, that's but, a good thing. That's although I mean think. well actually now I mean I, you and Phil playing heads up because talking of people who know how to like bend you know break the simulation or bend the universe to their will. Um, I mean, we can get into that topic later. I mean, I, having seen what I saw you do, in, in, you know, with the, um, the Players' Championship. Well, I have new magic year. powers as of recently. So Man, that, that, something weird was going on in that. He was a more powerful wizard at first. But if you saw, like, I was dressed up as, uh, uh, we were both dressed up as wizards. Um, you know, maybe people thought it was a joke, but it was kind of real. Like he used to be the most powerful poker wizard, but now that he's defeated me, I have uh, ascended and become, you know, even more powerful than you can imagine. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, do you, do you, uh, maybe for the audience, maybe explain what, what, what happened? You know, okay. do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, we'll talk, we'll go over briefly because I want to focus on you, but, um, I don't, maybe I'm not even sure if you're aware, but on TV, I got a fill down to like, like a, like a over 10 to one chip lead or something for heads up. And somehow I folded, uh, like three of a kind to his bizarre bluff. And of course the perfect river came for me to fold for some insane price, like, like seven to one. I just like forgot all that I had on him. And he did exactly what he thought he did. It just uh, magic. And then I, and then somehow from there, I lost the whole thing. And then of course, as of recently, I don't know if people, um, if my audience hasn't, hasn't uh, uh, seen my personal recent success. I declared recently that I was going to win 50K uh, Poker Players Championship and just kept playing it up as an act and said, yep, I'm going to win. I mean, it's all just fun and games and, they're just not ready for it. And they don't know who they're messing with or saying this, this nonsense. And then obviously I dyed my hair blue to go into God mode, which, and then dressed like a cartoon character, kind of like Goku. Like an, you were like an anime superhero. Yeah. And then got Magical some like, superhero. yeah, got like the candies uh, that represented the, the magic from the Goku series, Dragon Ball Z series. And it got a power boost and all that. And then towards the end, everyone was talking shit and saying I was out of, magic beans and then somehow i won the thing with the blue hair uh and uh yeah that's that's a a summary of phil homuth and my wizarding magic <laughs> powers um well we're getting a little bit off topic but yeah it's a summary with but we should go into magic uh very soon and by the way with the um we, another topic it that would be interesting is this idea of confidence to be learned because confidence can be learned. There is such a thing. 
uh, at any level, really. I mean, and this is really potentially one of the powers of poker, I think, because it teaches you really to be really tenacious and to, like that you can do it. And this is what I think is something central to gaming. I'd like for you to comment on this if you think this is an idea that has validity or not. If I'm wrong, um, please correct me. But I personally learned to persevere and try really damn hard at things because of poker and having success at other games. But uh, what are your thoughts on this version of education, of educating someone that, yes, they can do something if they, if they really apply themselves? Do you think gaming and, uh, well, I personally thought poker could be used in this way, potentially, for certain people at least. But maybe I was mention of that gaming could be used this way and there's a little bit more to that story so uh so so i understand the question can do you think there's value in teaching people that if they put their mind to it they can achieve stuff by you know by using gaming as a as a way to show them that is that the question yeah yeah that's a that's a sum that's a first summary mm, that's um, the first idea i want to present yeah, I mean, at first glance, I would I would say yes, uh, because games are like basically little, you know, whether you're talking about a chess game, a game of poker, or like even like something like, you know, a platform game, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, I remember playing, I, I was obsessed with, I had a Sega Mega Drive, you know, in, in when I was eight or whenever my parents finally got me one after begging. Um, and I remember playing Sonic just over and over because I noticed that like, well, if I practice, I can, I remember just being obsessed with doing speed runs and certain things, mm -hmm. like how fast I could finish it. And I would just do it over and over in this obsessive way and just like shaving off like, like microseconds here and there. And it, you know, it definitely taught me the power of like, no practice is incredibly, if you practice, you will get better. And I, mean, I know it sounds obvious, like everyone, you know, thinks they know that, but to actually like really feel that and internalize it is a really important thing especially for young young people um and games are good because they will like is they're they're usually quite if they're designed in a simple way then it, you know those those feedback those feedback loops are really tight um you will typically get rewarded through that you know through that hard work and practice um so yeah that's why i mean i think i like where you know if when Igor and i have kids like i'm definitely going to encourage them to be playing games um, you know, I don't want them to always be playing on a computer game. You know, maybe we can go outside, do other things. Um, I'm certainly going to teach them poker because there's just so many different life skills and thinking skills and, and sort of educational skills that the like different games, you know, give you. Um, chess is obviously very much a sort of, I, I think, I, think, I mean, well, chess is an amazing game. I, I would not, like if I was given the choice of you'd only ever teach your kid chess or only teach them poker, hands down, I'll teach them poker because chess is so much more limited in, uh, in terms of application to the real world. It just makes you very good at like picturing and calculating sort of multiple moves ahead in this like very narrow space. Whereas poker, you've got to, do, you get to do the same kind of like calculating moves ahead and sort of forward planning. But then you also have to learn like, probabilities and uh you'd have to deal with so much on so much more uncertainty um and then and then there's also like the, the human element like i mean sure in, in chess i guess there's a human element you try and predict what your opponent's going to do um to an extent but like you don't have to look into someone's soul and try and decide whether they're like 
de deceiving you, uh, you know, or are they telling you the truth? Um, you get to like, there's much more sort of scope for storytelling in poker as well. Um, uh, and then of course, there's the, the luck versus skill thing. That's like, that's one of the toughest, most important lessons that poker teaches you. Um, you know, when, if I sat down against Magnus Carlsen in chess, he's going to beat me 99.999% of the time. Um, maybe he has a heart attack or something or like something crazy happens and he, he somehow loses, but he's always going to win. Whereas, um, I sit down, you know, you sit down against a complete beginner, they're still going to, and you play for like an hour you're only going to win like what like 60 percent of the time or something and so it's it's like what we talked about it's like figuring out whether your strategies are good you know you ha you can only really look at your results but results are noisy and they aren't always that meaningful over over the short term so that is a really important lesson um for, for life because life is life has that messiness too you know if you're you want to be an entrepreneur and you start up a company and it fails and then you start up another company and it fails it's like well, did that fail because I'm a bad entrepreneur or did it fail because, uh, you know, I just started it at the wrong time or like some bad chain of events happened, um, you know, and, and being able to discern between that and, and figure out which of your strategies are good versus bad um, is, is so is, is like one of the biggest challenges in life. And that's really what something that poker teaches. With that, I totally agree. I personally, there's this one bridge between poker in life that I personally miss but this I feel like this taught me something about uh life as well I mean I, I used my own personal strategic thinking in poker uh in life um I want to talk about this subject a little bit from the point of impact uh excuse me in terms of uh effective altruism impact but let's put this to the side for the moment because we've jumped ahead well we've jumped to kind of a topic that's a little bit far away you know what actually let's start even from your from your poker career what was uh, what do you feel like your biggest which accomplishments in your poker career matter the most to you and why um which accomplishments matter the most to me well i mean the obvious answer is like you know, when I, when I won the EPT San Remo back in 2010, that was, that was important for obviously a number of practical reasons in that it like made me well-known. It gave me a bankroll. Um, and, you know, I got my PokerStars sponsorship off the back of it and so on. So, I mean, that was definitely like the biggest juncture in my life. Um, although that's another sort of interesting life lesson because, uh, you know, when I won that thing, again, it was like pretty early on into, you know, I'd, I'd only been playing full time for about a year and a half. Um, and it was, it, it was, I think the biggest tournament ever held in Europe at the time. And then the amount of sort of fanfare and, and, and uh, attention that came along with it. Again, it sort of made me a little bit deluded about my skill level and that it was just, I was like, well, clearly, clearly I must be just very, very talented at this. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, I played, I definitely played very unconventionally. Like I would not play the same way now. Um, I think, you know, I, I was far, far away from GTO most of the time. I didn't really know what I was doing in retrospect. And I was playing actually just very intuitively. I just like, I would have a feeling and I would go with it. Um, and it worked out on this occasion. Um, and so it kind of made me, um, 
I remember I just didn't really study the game much for like the the, the year and a half following, um, which definitely cost me like both, you know, monetarily, but also just like in my confidence, because then I was like, I won that and then I didn't catch, I think, a single tournament basically for, for another year and a half, like, you know, maybe have one or two. Um, and that was sort of a lesson of like, wait, I'm getting, you know, there's a, you know, that, that famous book, uh, Fooled by Randomness. Um, that I think that happened to me a little bit. I, it, it went to my head and so on um, and made me a bit complacent. Um, so that that was an interesting lesson that came from it. I'm not sure how much it meant to me, like, because after a while, once I started realizing how much variance there is in tournaments and, the, you know, at some point I was like, wait, like these aren't really as meaningful as I thought they were. Um, unless unless you're willing to like grind it out so much and and you, you know like if you just play live tournaments you don't get a big enough sample size in a lifetime really to, to really draw meaningful conclusions about what your true ROI is um, as a poker player because like what can you you can't play more than like a thousand tourneys live and considering that's what I mostly did, I, I can't say I can look back at my poker career and be meaning, you know, go, oh, that's it. I, that's definitely what my ROI was. Um, I guess, I guess a lesson I can take from that is that I think I wasn't necessarily playing. And I think this was one of the, like, perhaps the thing that held me back in my career is that I wasn't so much playing for like being the very best player I could. I was almost just playing for like, results and having you know having having more numbers on my on my hendon mob like certainly in my like darkest times during my poker career um you know where i was just like not really studying that hard not even enjoying it that much i it's it's like i was optimizing for the wrong thing i was optimizing for tournament scores that would make me feel justified to continue being a poker stars pro um as opposed to actually playing for the love of the game and and that was a that was an important lesson um to like realize like wait what, what am I doing here then like like that's not why this is this is silly like I should go and do something else if I'm not actually playing for the love of the game anymore I'm, I'm like um you know it's 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 like uh was it good Goodhart's law which is like any um you know uh, basically like I I instead of focusing on the goal I started focusing on this the the measure by which I I I, I can determine whether I'm achieving that goal and if you focus too much on the measure, then the measure itself becomes the goal. And now you're no longer doing the thing you intended to do. Um, so basically the measurement becomes decoupled from the goal itself and, and you end up optimizing for the wrong thing. Um, so yeah, that, I felt like that started happening to me a bit, particularly in the like latter, latter part of my you know, poker career. Um, and, and in the end, I feel like I ended up playing longer than I wanted to. Um, you know, I, I started playing less, but it was, you know, I had kind of a cushy situation with, with my PokerStars deal and so on. That was like, a, a, like a pretty nice, easy income where I didn't, it didn't, I didn't need to be doing that much else. And I, I didn't even really need to be studying the game that much. Um, so I guess if like, I don't want to say it's a regret, but I think if I could do it all again, I would have quit poker a couple of years earlier. Is this how you ended up something in effective altruism and starting reg or being um, a co-founder to reg you're a co-founder I mean, yeah well i mean it was it was the co-founders it was uh me igor phil gruesome uh uh stefan huber and renee garcia in the beginning. Oh, um, um, I, I i should clarify reg is uh rational effective altruism that's what it the 
the abbreviation of that is red. No, it, it's, it stands for Raising for Effective Giving. But yeah, no, so we we started RAG in 2014 um, after uh, basically Igor, Phil and uh, Stefan met with some effective altruists in Switzerland who were like, they were like philosophers basically um, who worked on figuring out, you know, like seeing that there are so many problems in the world um, and, you know, if you want to like help fix the world, make the world a better place, it's a really tough decision to figure out where specifically to give to, you know, whether you're do donating time or money, you know, it's, 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 it's a very hard answer, it's a very hard thing to decide, but it's a very important question to ask because some problems are, they are just more important than others, you know, like a local cat shelter going out of business is sad because it's like, well, what's, what's going to happen to these cats? Like that's, that is a problem, but it's much less of a problem than say, you know, Indonesia and the tropical rainforest being, you know, being decimated, for sure, example. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so like there's, there's, you have to sort of triage problems uh, based upon like not only the size in terms of the number of people that are affected, but also like the ability to solve them um, and also like their comparative neglectedness. Um, so there's like these sort of different like frameworks of how you can like look at, uh, you know, how you can effectively triage the different Can I add problems. another factor? Can I add yeah. another factor? Well, also how helping them affects helping yourselves in a way that can help more, if that makes sense, because there's plenty of, totally. like you, you can, you can help like solve, uh, you can help give funding to preventing, you know, um, mass uh, or really bad diseases, for example, mm -hmm. but no one shit about that. And this won't do anything for you to like raise more money. So like, even though this is quite an important one that, that I understand is neglected, I recall you telling me, um, it doesn't make much sense to focus on that. Oh, well, it, it uh, does. Why? Because, because it doesn't, because it doesn't inspire more people to also give to it or why? Um, it does make sense to focus on it, but relatively less than potentially other bigger causes, such as preventing death and uh, things like sure. that. Well, it's, it's also a question of like, how do you, you know, like how much do you zoom in or, or zoom out on a particular thing? Like I remember a, a really good analogy is like someone saying, well, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, donate all my money to a breast cancer charity because my mom died of breast cancer and I don't want anyone else to have their mother die of breast cancer. And it's like, yeah, no, that's the noble cause. But even bigger than that, how about you ask the question, what is the thing that ends up killing the most mothers? Because ultimately you don't want anyone to lose their mother prematurely whether it's to breast cancer or to bowel cancer or to road accidents or anything like, so maybe, you know, maybe that's the more important question. What is the thing that ends up killing the most mothers and how can I, how can I help stop that? So it's, it's about sort of like zooming out and really just like, you know, taking as much of a, a big picture view as you can before like delving in. And, and the thing is, cause like often like, you know, Oh, we're all ultimately affected by our own life events. Um, you know, and, and understandably if someone's like grown up with, you know, you know, lost someone they love to a road accident, um, they might be more focused on doing stuff to improve road safety and so on, which it's good. Like th these problems do need solving, but if it comes at the cost, you know, if, if too many people are focusing on, on a particular thing because it happens to be in the news right now, um, or, or it's just a very salient example of suffering, um, it sometimes can cannibalize too much of, or, you know, absorb too much attention and money. Because uh, unfortunately, when it comes to philanthropic giving, it is kind of a zero-sum game. Um, there aren't unlimited funds. Um, and so when you do give to one place, it invariably means you're not giving to somewhere else. And if it turns out that that somewhere else was actually going to save 10 times as many people or, you know, improve a situation 10 times better, 
well, that's actually, a, that's a big loss effectively. So it's, it's about like, not only asking these big questions, um, but then also like making sure that the data you gather to answer that question is done in as rigorously, you know, rigorous way. So a lot of like effective altruism is about sort of applying the scientific method to, um, to like interventions on, on problems, like using randomized control trials and such to, to, to actually see which things work the best. That makes a lot of sense. I have another thought for you related to that. So how does this, how exactly does this relate to poker? Like how, it seems like a little bit of a tangent uh, to go from, you know, I'm playing a game or you're playing a game where you're trying to win someone else's money through strategy and, you know, a mix of deception and, uh, you know, and, and value and getting the most for your money and reading your opponents or whatever. How does this, how do you go make a jump from this to uh, effective altruism? Is there something mm -hmm. in common there or just? Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot in common because basically it's, it's applying effective altruism, or, you know, or this like approach, you know, taking a scientific approach to philanthropy is, 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 is kind of, it's, it's using a poker mindset to solve, uh, you know, to answer a difficult question and to, to, to solve the world's problems. And by that, I mean, like it's, it's, thinking about uncertainty like there's a lot of expected value thinking in effective altruism for example because like yeah, some yeah. issues some issues are that like actually you know you could for certain certain problems like let's say ai safety or um you know protecting against the next pandemic there's a lot of uncertainty there we don't know for certain like that there's going to be another big pandemic in in 10 years time certainly a few years ago we we didn't think there was going to be some huge catastrophic pandemic that will affect the world uh, at least we didn't we, we, we only gave it a probability, but you want to multiply that probability by the potential impact to understand what the, you know, the expected cost is of such an event if it happens. Um, and therefore you can, you, you can choose to invest your money into uh, things that will help prevent that or help mitigate it. Um, so there, there's a lot of, because there's a lot of uncertainty when you're thinking about the future, then you need to use, um, sort of the prediction skills that you would use in poker such as expected value thinking um uh in how you approach it um and then in terms of like how i you know how i transitioned into into doing that i mean it just kind of happened organically because once we learned about this this sort of this concept of, of effective altruism it was like okay because i had historically you know whenever i'd done anything remote like philanthropic it was just like I would see some upsetting thing on tv and donate some money to it because I felt so bad I was like oh this is horrible like look people are you know this this war-torn country is having this uh, okay fine funny, the marketing got you too yeah of <laughs> course and I mean got you I mean, and, I mean there's nothing wrong with that like I, I don't think we should divorce our emotions from like any charity that we do like I think emotions are a very important thing like and it's um, you know, because they will, they will motivate us to do something. And then also they, you know, if we end up then doing something and we feel like we've helped, we feel good and that will be make, make us more likely to help again in the future. Um, so I think emotions are an important part of that, but is that we can, we have to also remember that emotions aren't necessarily perfectly calibrated to what's the most important issue. They're, they're best calibrated to what's the most like visualizable issue you know like there's yeah, a yeah. there's the identifiable victim for example that's why they'll often put a picture of this is you know this is sam sam has been living in this terrible conditions help sam don't let sam suffer 
And it's like, you know, maybe there's there's only like 150 Sams in reality. And meanwhile, there's like 10,000 other anonymous kids that you don't hear about every day because it's just like like global global poverty, for example, like the roughly around 20,000 kids die of just like very easily preventable causes, uh, like reasons um, in terms of like malnutrition or just like they needed to be dewormed pretty cheaply. Um, but it's just, there's, there's still so much extreme poverty and it's happening so often that we just don't even notice it. And me, yet, meanwhile, there'll be like some kind of, you know, new disaster will happen, you know, be an earthquake somewhere. And it's very bad. Like, let's say, you know, 10,000 people are suffering and dying because it's like a new novel event. We'll hear about it in the news and there'll be images of it like right now and so on. And so people that will get a ton of money and funding, um, even though it actually will help a fraction of the people that like could be helped with that same money right now, um, you know, with like malaria prevention or something. So it's, it's like what you know how the word but like how sexy a problem is in like terms of how like visceral and visual it is um that doesn't match up necessarily with uh with like how effective it is um so yeah to, but anyway to answer your question we 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 started it because we still wanted this is back in 2014 we still wanted to continue playing poker um but you know I, ultimately let's let's put it this way if the whole world started playing poker professionally the world would end pretty fast because oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 just a game. Really, it's you know while there's like some entertainment that happens, which I think adds some value. Um, it's still ultimately is a sort of zero sum game um, overall in terms of like it's it's pushing money around a table to different people, um, and some people come away feeling bad, and some people come away feeling good. Um, you know, I still think overall poker is on net a a benefit to the world because I think the if people learn the lessons from it that it teaches and then take them away and like think better about their other decisions in their everyday lives. Um, But we couldn't sustain a world full of professional poker players. Let's put it that way. Um, So, uh, so yeah, we, I think we, we saw reg as a way of like turning poker from a, a game of like unclear, whether it's a, positive negative or zero sum game into de- definitively a positive sum game and that there are externalities to it that objectively make the world better um, by encouraging poker players to do- like donate a fraction of their winnings to really good places um, really good causes so that's really all, all reg was about i'm totally on board with that and by the way um i want to talk about another kind of impact that one thing that really inspired me was the power of inspiration itself through being able to influence emotions as you said through news and through story Mm -hmm. etc like this is really what has like the power over um people to get them to do things like uh change their actions and what oh and um one thing that poker players one thing that's unique about poker and that poker players successful poker players anyway, have, is that they have the, the ability to shape their emotions to be aligned with logic, um, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I think this is a really understated and important characteristic of people in poker. And if we throw in a little bit, uh, throw in the element of goodwill, we can firstly see, okay, if I'm just playing poker with my life, that's not really that great thing by itself because it's not really doing anything beneficial for the world. And then, you know, uh, we've got this like neutral um, mass of money that's going on and with these people. And it's like, oh, let's do 
something good with. That's the easy alignment of, again, like further alignment from poker to something beyond poker. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I always found it interesting that it seems like there's a number of uh, people in poker that are interested in uh, rational, <clears throat> well, effective altruism essentially, or or using reason to give in a good way. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like like Dan Smith, for example. Like. Yeah. You, I mean, uh, like Double Up Drive emerged a few years after Reg. Um, it's through very much the similar pr- principles. Um, and, you know, like I think Dan was inspired by basically the same effective altruists that we were. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly taken the mantle over from Reg and is like now doing so much, much more than Reg even ever did. And like, to see that that, like so many poker players just get it, like get the concept. Um, and uh, that's, yeah, I think that's like, that's what has made poker. And I think, it's certainly the thing that I'm like proudest of the poker community of is like their ability, as you said, to like calibrate their emotions to, you know, not, not only logic, but also to like probabilities. Um, I remember talking about it with Igor, you know, he's like, when I, you know, like when I would play and I would see it's a coin flip, my gut would be feeling like I would be truly my, you know, my, my anxiety about that, that coin flip would be, proportionate to my likelihood of winning you know so like 50 percent, and it's like oh i'm pretty stressed whereas like you know if i'm a 90 percenter to win like i will not be stressed at all whereas i think a lot of people in a high stakes you know who are amateurs will be still feeling they'll be still sweating it so hard you know when they get it in with aces against yeah you know, sevens they'll be sweating it roughly as much as they'll be sweating it when they have a coin flip whereas i think a poker player they will truly be sweating it proportional to their their chances of losing on the whole the idea of inspiration through story and um through media this is i mean i'd like to hope that my podcast will be an example of this like it's about winning the game of life it's an example for for many things for also to show okay so a couple ideas to unpack here firstly one thing that poker teaches you is a bit about the big picture because you have to consider the big picture when you're thinking about your strategy uh and all of that and Mm -hmm contemplating the big picture it may be possible to present some you could say sexy ideas or something some things that can emotionally impact on a grand scale uh if with the right tools if that makes sense and create an impact that this is just what i've been thinking and create an impact that goes beyond just like pure funding because then it could help direct funding if that makes sense right it's like some form of like in, yeah like just really good inspiration yeah um yeah like that i, I you know I, I i've been sort of flirting with this idea for a while i want to like create a meme factory where you get like just brilliant writers and artists and so on to help because ultimately like right like right now we're in we're in a war of the memes you know and yeah, you could say, yeah like you know in some way like communism is a meme capitalism is a meme like, no, they're all ideas of like how the world should function and what's the best way what's the thing that will make people happiest or the most flourishing um and so on and we're in a like we're in a war like a narrative warfare situation you call it the culture wars whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it but um ultimately there there's competition going on because there's there's only finite attention and headspace um out there and like you know media companies are in like 
I think part of the reason why we're seeing the world becoming so, uh, feels like everything's so aggressive and like stressed right now, you know, aside of the pandemic, is that the competition, that the, the media space has become so competitive now because there's so many like citizen journalists and like little media companies popping up here, there and everywhere. You know, before it used to be like the New York Times and uh, the Washington Post, you know, they're like, maybe 10 or 20 major newspapers and they only had to compete against each other for people's attention and like advertising dollars but now like anyone could like technically you know the cost of setting up a a news site are very very small doesn't mean it'll be successful but the point is is that anyone can kind of try and do that now and people are even with like you know social media is like someone's twitter account people follow them some certain people for news and the new york times and etc they're having to compete against that for attention and that means that they're you know even though they might be trying their hardest to still stick to like good quality journalism unfortunately like that doesn't the you know the, the classic if it bleeds it leads there, there's a, such a strong incentive pressure for um, media outlets to run with the most like emotionally uh, insightful, uh, like um, upsetting headlines and so on uh, in order to get eyeballs uh, that it comes at the cost of good quality journalism. And, you know, it, it pays for media, for, for news, newspapers to make people upset and angry um, or happy, technically. But usually the, the most um, powerful emotions are either anger, disgust um, or fear and sadness. So they, they, they ultimately end up optimizing for those kind of stories. And it, it sort of starts snowballing. It makes people very stressed, which makes and, and unhappy, which makes it more likely for bad things to happen. Um, and you know, I don't want to like pin and blame everything on the on the media industrial complex, but they play they've playing they're playing a huge role in this like um, this this worrying trend of like you know people being depressed and like identifying with being depressed. It's like it's very on vogue to be pessimistic about the future, and I think that's a huge problem. Um, and actually, one of the things I now want to be focusing on is like creating almost again like even if i like even if it doesn't seem perfectly accurate to be like fully optimistic about the future i think it's again it's like a a useful narrative in order to like get people into a more positive headspace because if you have a pop like a positive optimistic population they're going to be much more productive than a pessimistic population um so yeah, I, I think inspiration is is one of the most valuable tools we have. Inspiring people to feel, you know, empowered to get up and go do something um, that is strictly positive, some uh, and constructive for the world. Um, and uh, I think it's something that we should be, you know, basically we want to we want to market optimism to the world because uh, people will be happier and more likely to then actually go out and do stuff and make, you know, it's it's like self fulfilling prophecies. If you sit and you know, it's if you like, who are you going to bet on? If you've got two two identically skilled players that are going to go and sit in a really tough cash game for a week, um, and you're going to you can back player A or player B, player even though they both equally skilled, like somehow we can know that they were both perfectly equally skilled, but player A is coming off the back of a like really good like good good load of results. They're feeling great about themselves. They've been having a lot of people say you like believe in yourself. You're playing great, and then player B. They've had the opposite. Everyone's been telling them they're shit. They've had like, you know, a bad run recently. Um, they're just feeling very down on themselves. Which player are you going to put your money in? I mean, I think player A is like an obvious choice. Obvious choice, right? And I think you can extend that out on a population level about like, do you have a country that's optimistic about the future? 
and believing in themselves to like make a happy world versus a, a country that's like full of shame and self-loathing and down on itself and like infighting. Obviously, you're going to, you want the country, you know, country A is more likely to succeed and like make a happy, flourishing world. So um, how do we spread that meme of optimism is I think one of the most important questions of our time. That I totally agree with. And I had uh, a related thought on a, on an individual level, at least for me, like everyone always says, believe that the future will be good or, you know, just uh, have faith, you know, these kinds of ideas. And, you know, thinking about it rationally, thinking about faith rationally, it's rational to have faith if you think about mm -hmm. it. Um, even though, and then I personally concluded that it's actually better to believe, you could say, believe in yourself or whatever, believe in the future then be logical because if you're logical you can think all sorts of things um but if you do believe in the future uh it will it it basically leads to uh better results and yeah it's just basically if you believe that something is possible as well believe that something is possible is like the first step to making it reality so there's that and it leads to more positivity and all these other beneficial kinds of emotions yeah i think i think it's, no i'm 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 i i i personally agree i think it might be valuable for the listeners to like actually define what you mean by faith um i can certainly give my definition of, of faith um because i think it's a very loaded word um i people usually associate it with like you know faith in jesus or faith in you know whichever god you believe in um and it certainly can mean that. And I don't think there's anything, you know, I, I, I'm still agnostic on the whole God topic, but I'm more open-minded to it than I was five years ago. Let's put it that way. Um, and to me, what faith means is basically it's a, it's an anchor point wherein even if everything's going to shit and everything that you thought was true about the world turns out to be false. If you have faith in something, whatever that one thing is, it acts as a, as an anchor to a, something that you feel is certain and unwavering and again like and, and and people are like yeah but what if there is literally nothing you can be certain on nothing like having something that you're willing to just just attach to and be like whatever happens I'm just going to believe in this and so on can be has like has provenly given people unbelievable strength in like incredibly dark times um uh <laughs> I actually remember like uh sort of getting into it with uh jason mercier on twitter once when it was like uh I, I remember being annoyed at like the whole sort of thoughts and prayers things that i felt that like politicians were saying about the, the hurricane hitting florida and and like you know like they, they just have faith in god and it'll be okay and i was like this is stupid like you know why you know telling telling people like that they should just you know have faith and then they don't have to do anything and so on and, and he was like, like, don't knock on faith, there's value to it. And I didn't understand what he meant at the time, but like having now seen, it's like, no, basically he's referring to those people who are truly feeling in a hopeless situation and there really isn't much they can do. Having some faith is what will keep them sane and maybe give them the strength, like the, some, some kind of reserve that they can tap into um, to actually then get them through that impossibly hard situation. Um, so yeah, I don't think it, it's not... It, 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 again, it's coming down to this thing of like useful, or maybe it's a false narrative, but it's a useful narrative. Um, uh, and there's value in that. 
So yeah, is that is that roughly what you would describe faith as yourself? Uh, I think we're along the same paths. Um, there, yeah, there's multiple definitions you could say. So in fact, even in Buddhism, uh, Buddhists would, they don't, uh, at least in a certain, at least in the Buddhism that I read about, there's multiple sects of Buddhism, mm -hmm. it's appropriate to have faith um, aligned with logic. This is my understanding, and this makes sense to me, but not blind faith. And even if you read, right. like, even if you're referring to something like the Bible, I don't think it exactly says, suggests blind faith, but there's like an, it, it always, it's more like, uh, it's more like have optimism, if you could say. Like, I mm -hmm. would say it's, or I would say faith and hope are, are very intricate, intricately, yes. because hope kind of implies that, that, you know, there's something better related. And well, so, hope is optimistic faith, basically. I would say that, uh, yeah, it may be the case, well, just looking at it uh, from the possibilities, you could say you don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it may be the case that faith is um, not, is a false narrative, as you said, but in the case that it's not, it's best to have faith. Um, but anyway, I, I know you made like a little video, but about uh, like what is rationally the best course of action for everyone, at least in the subject of beauty, I remember. And you showed me a- Oh, the beauty wars, the beauty yeah. wars video. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's like, I guess it, I could see how it could, mm, I could see potentially some relevance to the idea of uh, giving money at some point, but- uh, I don't think it's related to that specifically. Um, I could see how so it I mean, could be related, but it's not. It, the beauty wars isn't. The, I don't see how it raising money is going to like help no, fix the beauty wars. No, no, no. What what the purpose of uh, so the, the beauty wars video I made? Um, I almost called it the, the the alternative title to it was the game theory of beauty, um, because I have you know I'm a, I'm a woman. Um, and I'm a woman who's now in her mid-late mid, 30s. And, and I've noticed like when I was on Instagram, like spending time on it, the, the algorithm was starting to show me more and more like, I, you know, female related things, but like, like of like heavily made up women um, or heavily filtered women. And then like cosmetic surgery suggestions and this kind of thing. And I'm like, huh, this is, this is not making me feel good about myself. This is interesting. And then like, I, I would like try out the filters that it suggests and like where it like would just like I could have a completely plain unmade up face and with like a click of a button it would turn me into like a Hollywood superstar like the hottest version of myself I've ever seen just like that and I'm like what but then you turn it off again and it's like oh my god that's what I really really look like and it's such a like power like it, unbelievably huge delta between what this, you know, what this thing can do, what my real face is and what, what this thing can make you look like. Um, and it's so immediate and there's such a strong like dopamine reward that you get from that, that it like becomes very addictive very easily. And I was, I was thinking, I was like, wow, if this is what it's like, you know, I'm pretty well adjusted um, in terms of like my relationship with myself and how I look and so on. Um, and I'd like, you know, I think I've done all right on the looks department. And I was like, so if this is making me feel shitty, what is this doing for like a 15 year old? 
who 15 year olds are notoriously like, you know, insecure. Everything is about how they look kind of, you know, because that's just like they're, they're trying to get laid and such. And it's like, it just must be like, if I was 15 going through that, I think it would make me insane and like very, very miserable and hate myself. And then like, I looked into it a bit more and it's like, yeah, that seems to be the case. Like there's just like every study that's coming out on like the effects of particularly like beauty filters and like um, a lot of time for particularly young women spent on social media, like they are not having a good time. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to obviously control for all the variables i mean there are many other reasons why like teenagers might be depressed as well but this this certainly isn't helping and it got me thinking about like the nation like the nature of you know how beauty works because like really beauty kind of evolved as a way to signal um to potential mates that we are uh you know the, that we are more attractive than our than our competitors um you know typically in in nature males are competing for females right they want to they want to get laid and typically and that's why you'd see like a male peacock has sort of evolved this ridiculous plume of feathers um which are very very beautiful like they're very nice to look at and clearly female peacocks like have optimized they like this and they've selected the males they're more likely to breed with the males that have this kind of stuff and so this thing has evolved over time but it's also interesting that the male peacock isn't um actually very well adapted to survival in where it lives because it's very conspicuous you know like it's very easy to spot by predators it's also it's all those heavy feathers make it very hard for the peacock to fly so it's an example of where what is you know section what is found sexually beautiful decouples from what's actually good for the individual in terms of its health and survival chances um uh you know whereas historically it seemed like beauty we always thought that beauty is a sign of like your your evolutionary fitness you're more likely to survive in the environment you're in and therefore you know people want to mate with you and have children um but that's not always the case and i was like huh it seems like that might be what's happening here with these like beauty filters on instagram because you know they're like it seems like they're making people really really miserable and yet people can't seem to stop doing them so why is that um and so then it got me so then I was like thinking about the game theory of it um, and basically what it is it's an arms race uh, a kind of like you you know if you want to become a famous influencer you know let's say you're a girl and all your peers uh in in school or university they're also like they know to because I mean I've noticed this myself if I post a, a sexy picture on Instagram it gets so many more likes than if I post like me just you know sitting on a couch uh or or like heaven forbid me talking about something like scientific or interesting it just ultimately people are going to click on the thing that is like more visually appealing so there's this like strong incentive to always do that and to use more and more of these filters to like get get eyeballs and particularly like so many people now want to be influencers as their job like it's like the number one desired job by gen z is to be like a youtube star or an instagram influencer it's insane so there's this really strong competitive pressures to do whatever you can to get as many people to like like and follow your pictures which means you're more likely to use these filters because they just make you look better apparently um so it's like this kind of race to the bottom and and then i, I sort of combined this idea with this uh this amazing art, uh, like blog post that was written by um scott alexander who's like a famous rationalist blogger um, called Meditations on Moloch, which is basically talking about these like unhealthy uh, game theoretic dynamics, which sort of, which make the world worse. Um, So like a sort of race, like a a race to the bottom scenario, like, um, you know, why why we're in a, you know, why we're all in like a a, a Nash equilibrium nuclear standoff 
right now. We've been living under this since the Cold War. Um, you know, in an ideal world, I think everyone would, if we could all simultaneously pressure, press a button to make nuclear weapons just disappear from the face of the earth together, we, you know, like forever, any rational actor would press it. But no individual comp- uh, country can do that because then it leaves them vulnerable. Um, so it's like this coordination problem. Um, and the, you know, these, once you sort of understand this, you see these coordination problems everywhere. And beauty is just, you know, the, the Instagram filter beauty nightmare is just another example of coordination problems. Like probably if you polled all these girls on Instagram and be like, hey, these filters are making you miserable, right? Yeah, well, how about we all collectively stop using them right now? Probably like enough of them would opt in to be like, yeah, let's like let's ban them so that we never we could just go back to using our real faces and at least then we're not like feeling so bad about ourselves. But because you can't because there's so many people and there's so many inset like there's so much incentive for each one person to defect, you know, kind of like a prisoner's dilemma dilemma, uh, that you can't ever make it happen. So um that's kind of what the video is about. It's kind of a long way of explaining it. And then on top of that, there's this uh what Scott Alexander, this blogger, did was he called it something this 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 like god of communication uh, of coordination failure and, and arms races he called it moloch um now obviously it's not like there's a, like a real you know metaphysical entity that wants to get the world trapped in in coordination failure and 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 like um unhealthy game theoretic dynamics it's it's like this like dumb unconscious process basically um but it is very much a real phenomenon and so I, I wanted to bring this character of Moloch to life because I think it's a better way of like, if you want to get a lot of people to understand this thing, you need to, um, you need to make it very like, again, visually salient um, and like kind of give it, a, if you give it a character, then it's like kind of like a bad guy. And people, you know, we love stories. We like stories where there's the good guys and the bad guys. Um, and the good guys are very obvious, you know, like that's why Disney's so successful. Uh, the good guys are obvious, the bad guys are obvious. Um, and in this case, when it's such a complex topic, uh, anything that you can do to like simplify it and make it memorable uh, is important. So that's kind of what the video is about. Uh, sounds, it's a very long-winded way of saying it. It's much easier if people just go watch it. I think it'll be much clearer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really important concept. And again, I think it's one that poker players will get because we understand game theory. Um, and um, we understand like, you know, it's, it's one of the, <laughs> the funnest things I have, like when like talking to poker players, I can just say, oh yeah, well, that's, that's zero sum. And they'll immediately know what I mean. But most people don't know what zero sum means. They don't know what positive sum means, negative sum. Um, and that's a big problem. Um, you know, like, I think a lot of the like political narrative right now, like, you know, there's so much like anti-capitalist sentiment. Um, and like, what is capitalism at its core? It's like a societal system that uses competitive dynamics to more accurately allocate resources to the things that we want. Now, obviously there are time, like, there are very clear situations where capitalism breaks down, you know, like um, tragedy, the commons type situations where like it's free to pollute the atmosphere right now. So people will just do it. And uh, cause it means they can like, run their business cheaper um you need to find a way of like uh taxing or like punishing these like negative externalities um in a more efficient way um which is where like the failures of capitalism are but at the same time we wouldn't be having like we wouldn't have an iphone if it wasn't for capitalism we wouldn't have um we, we you know we wouldn't be having like these incredible technologies and like lifestyle improvements happening um extremely unlikely to have had them the speed we've had them uh, were it not for allowing you know these competitive dynamics to uh make the best tech, you know the best com- co- companies win um and make uh products that are valuable 
Um, and I think that the part of the trouble is, is that when people see like, you know, they're like, oh, well, billionaires shouldn't exist. You know, like it means that they've taken billion dollars from other people. But no, most billionaires exist because they've built up something that a billion people want or like many, many people want that has added value to the world. They've grown the pie. Um, and I think people, that's the thing. People don't realize that capitalism or like doing stuff, you know, business itself is by and large a positive sum game. Um, it's not always. So I think it's important if, again, if someone's wanting to get into business, trying to figure out, well, is the industry I'm in net positive for the world or net negative? Um, and, you know, so like, is it a positive sum game or a negative sum game? Um, and I, I like people just don't seem to understand this concept at all, um, whereas poker players do. That's a lot of ideas all at once. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm on board with a lot of other, those uh, ideas. I firstly want to state I totally agree that uh, capitalism is almost certainly a good thing. I can't see how it couldn't be. Um, this adds a whole another dimension to the whole, you know, effective altruism movement, you could say, uh, in that. I would presume that solving these uh, race to the bottom dynamics, such as the beauty wars, would go a long way in having a big impact for the world, but maybe they're not worth the actual resources. Um, I am a little bit curious how you went from, went from where do we put the, where, where's the most effective use of the money to, uh, oh shit, what about this dynamic here that's, mm -hmm crushing our happiness like how do we well I mean how right. do we do about that what do I even do about that well I guess uh, from your perspective it seems like it's not necessarily a big deal for you you seem quite confident in that you're showing your you know you're not you don't have to use those damn filters on the um on the internet and by the way I want to I want to state the theory that I have just from my own personal experience as a guy I find that the ones that I'm most attracted to are still basically the same if that makes sense, with or without makeup. And then it doesn't make that much of a di difference in the attraction. My personal theory, and this is just really like, just from straight, just some guess out of my own experience, mm -hmm. that like, actually it's not really doing a whole lot of good for anyone. I, I think makeup on on net, I don't, I don't have an, a particularly strong opinion either way. Like there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of value in makeup because it's like women doing, you know, it depends. Some women love it, some women hate it, but there's like, and like, there's a, sometimes I'm in a mood where I feel like actually just putting on a bunch of makeup and, it, and I feel good. Like, it, it's like, I enjoy the process. I enjoy the artistry. Um, and oh, like, yeah, makeup, sure. yeah. makeup can be an incredible form of art, like absolutely beautiful. Um, good point, yeah. and, and I think that there's, there's, there's an inherent value in that that would be sad to be lost. You know, I, I certainly don't want makeup to be banned in the world. I think that would be terrible. Like, I, it's far I more important you, to have I choice. Must be right, huh? Yeah, it's 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 far more important that there is choice in the world um, for, you know, if women want to or men, anyone wants to draw shit on their face that they think is beautiful. They should be absolutely free to do that. Um, so, you know, the, 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 again, it's like it's like how do we succinctly define, you know, a point, if any, where makeup, let's say, becomes unhealthy. And like to me, an example would be if like I felt that. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't leave my house or leave my bedroom in the morning until I had spent at least, let's say, 20 minutes putting on my face. You know, like for me, that would be a sign like I'm not, there's like some, to me, that's unhealthy because there's 
I would rather, you know, 20 minutes a day adds up a lot. You know, like if you do 15 minutes a day um, on something over a hundred years, that, what is that? That, that's, that adds up to about a year of your life, roughly. Um, that's a problem. Um, well, to me, like, I don't want to spend, if there's, so you have to ask yourself, do, is this something I want to spend a year of my life doing? If the answer is yes, then fine, carry on. But I personally would not want to spend a full year of my life just putting makeup on to like satisfy some societal ethic, uh, sorry, aesthetic. So, um, so to me, like it becomes, there's like a sort of unhealthy point, you know, beyond which, uh, yeah, where, where makeup is bad, where if someone is just, they feel like they have to spend so much time doing it. Um, so it, that, and that varies from individual to individual. Again, if someone really enjoys doing it, then great, they should. But if someone's doing it because they feel they have to, in order to just be accepted, well, that's that's not good. So um, I think just having, and to be fair, I think the world has moved into this place more of like just generally like radicalist acceptance. If like someone wants to come to work, like our receptionists, you know, back in the fifties, receptionists were expected to be, you know, they were always female and they were expected to be doled up and look a certain way. And if they didn't, they would lose their job. That seems bad. Um, you know, nowadays, like there's more focus, there's less focus on like how you look um for for your work than they used to be particularly for women and I think that's a good thing um so yeah I think I think makeup by and large is is fine and and like again these beauty filters could be okay if it's done I think where it becomes so insidious with them is where like it's done in a deceptive way where people post an Instagram picture it's it's filtered to the eyeballs and but they'd like no one knows so then other women will look at it and be like you know, men will look at it and be like, this is what all women should like clearly look like. And I should, they wait in real life. They don't look like this. Well, oh, she must be ugly. When in reality, they've just become deluded of what people really look like. And similarly, other women will see it and be like, well, damn, I don't look anything like her. And they'll look in the mirror and feel bad about themselves. And, and, and because they think that what they're seeing is real. So it's like, if, if, if like, you know, whenever you post a picture that's really filtered, it says underneath, by the way, this is a filtered picture then at least it gives people like, oh, okay, I, I don't need to feel so bad about myself. Um, you know, it's, it's the lack of transparency that I think is the problem. And, and usually you know, when you look at someone and they have makeup on, you can tell that they're wearing it. So it's not like you, you, you don't come away and be like, oh, oh I, I don't look like her. It's like, oh, well, I just don't, she, she has makeup on, I don't. You know, so um, I think it's, it's, there's like some balance to be struck. And maybe that balance is, is like, just where people are more that was one of the reasons I wanted to make a video about it as well was just like get people talking about it get people more aware of the thing and that by doing that will diminish its like power um same with this like wider concept of Moloch if people understand that like the so many of the ills of the world that we're seeing is because of like these coordination failures and at least they like now can like they don't just think it's just like oh everything's chaotic and humans are inherently evil it's like no actually it's just like a, a bad competitive dynamics or bad system design has created this and so we shouldn't like now you know like with understanding comes a way of fixing something basically okay i that that makes a ton of sense i i still i'm still curious what made you what was it? it just huh what made, what made you, me uh, you was it just like this like uh you realize this issue and then you just switched or was well it? yeah so um the the reason why I decided to do this as opposed to like, for example, focus full time on reg and so on. Well, I mean, you know, Igor and I both quit poker. So reg made no sense to sort of continue pursuing because we're not involved in poker anymore. And also like, 
you know, Dan, Dan Smith's double up drive is, you know, more than like carried on the mantle of effective altruism in, in poker. So, um, you know, that, that didn't make that much sense. So the question is, is like, why did I decide to start making videos on stuff? Um, well, partly because I'm still figuring out what the most impactful thing is I could do, but it, it, it seems like I have a talent for making these videos. And I think I'm fairly uniquely positioned to talk about the role of competition in society um, having been like a pathologically competitive person for much of my life and like played a lot of games like you know I've seen both the good side and bad side of competition very much in like both my myself and other people um, the good side and bad side of games uh, and it's it's a very it's a very misunderstood concept it's a very undeveloped topic basically there's not many scientific papers on the role of competition in society um i think it's a very understudied area and it's a very important area so i wanted to use my platform and my like i guess storytelling skill set if i have one to to do this and then on top of that i wanted to like i wanted to learn how to make a short film that was the other thing, like everything you see in that video, I did myself from the filming, from the editing, to the color grading, to the to like the graphics, like you name it, everything in there was, was done by me um, because I kind of wanted to like learn the process of making a video and like how to make art and how to like make an educational piece as well at the same time. So it was just a combination of things really. It was like, I did it during lockdown uh, or like last year. Um, I would just want, uh, yeah, I wanted to like understand what it takes to, explain a, a kind of esoteric complex concepts to people um and also make it artistic and, and entertaining and I think I did a good job I'm certainly very proud of the piece um and I but it like the the concept of Moloch and unhealthy competition is is much much bigger this is just like a little example case study of it to like suck a, suck people in who would never ever think of game theory you know I wanted to aim it at a largely female audience because most of my fans actually are male like if I look at my you know, statistics, it's like 85% male, maybe even more, um, uh, which makes sense because I'm known for poker. Um, and, but at the same time, like it, we need, we need everyone to understand if we, if we, if we want to solve a, like stand a chance of solving coordination problems, we need the whole world to understand what a coordination problem is. Uh, and that means I need to appeal to more female uh, people, um, you know, or, or a younger audience as well. So that was kind of my, my goal with it. But I, I can't say there was like a strict strategic decision. I was like, oh, this is the best thing I can do. It was just like, I felt that I have this, this, this story in me. Uh, and it's a topic that I'm just like, I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and like seeing, you know, seeing the world, seeing, seeing the, like how, the average dialogue on Twitter and so on has become so combative and, and confrontational. Um, it's like, I want to understand why that is, what is happening. Um, and it all boils down to game theory. It's all, everything's game theory. So firstly, I want to say this, this sounds like a really interesting niche for you. And I thought I found it to be entertaining. And I, I mean, understanding this, it makes perfect sense. And it shows like this mass scale game theory problem that, I mean, personally, I think is like interesting to solve. I don't know how to solve it exactly. I wrote down topics that I felt compelling to me. And over time, this, this happened over years, uh, I, that just topics that were, that made me emotionally feel something firstly, and topics that were ideas that I thought would be interesting that, um, that it seemed like people didn't necessarily talk about or that transcended many different areas of 
many different sub sectors of interest. Um, well, I'll give a really simple example. I was interested in conflict and change and like what, uh, what, like, what's the difference between a crazy person who's just outright crazy and a crazy person who believes I can do anything? Um, like how, like, just topics like this. And, I, and for a while, it was just just topics that I thought didn't make sense or not, excuse me, didn't really like fit together in an obvious way. And then one day I had a couple of revelations, like just these like, um, these thoughts that clicked in my head. And then a large portion of those thoughts sort of came together. And then I saw like an overarching theme of them shortly after this moment where I had these like thoughts that clicked in my head and put me into an altered state of consciousness as I found out what it was, it was like a feeling something like ecstasy uh, for four days. People will probably think I'm lying. I didn't take any drugs or anything. Well, I did um, in this like bizarre state have this like idea of like something else I want to do with my life, which is related actually to the theme of what you're saying is that basically to, well, this is kind of what part of, this is like a long shot of what why I made this podcast is really how do we solve the game of life? Um, right. And that's kind of, I mean, in, in more colloquial terms, you could say the, what I ultimately realized was like an extension of many of the principles I learned in poker uh, would lead to if I just applied, you could say like the goodness of my heart to it and building for a better future but basically i had a rough idea of what i want to do with my life ever since that moment and all of a sudden many of the thoughts i had written down all kind of coalesced just kept making sense in all these different ways and uh i was obnoxiously deep at the poker tables and people probably remember me asking all these weird questions <laughs> like when was this this was this was uh, in 2000 and must have been three years ago. Uh, this was in 2000 and what's well, three years ago? It, it was right before, it was the year before oh, yeah, COVID. 2018, 2019. Okay. Yeah. It was so, you, so, just, so, so I just understand it correctly. It sounds like you had some like light bulb moment where you felt like everything made sense. Yes. And it made you, you were like making mental connections that you never made before. I remember a couple of funny things that happened. It was kind of a weird series of events. Uh, there was like a moment that I felt a little bit uh, not human in that I was like in a strip club. And then um, I was like, I, I was on this like, this like peace path of like, I want to make peace and be a great person. And then apparently I had introduced a friend of mine to another friend of mine and this friend, both uh, one of the friends that screwed each other over and then he had gotten drunk in the strip club we were, we were at the rhino and he was like vomiting and i i remember him vomiting on my hand and i felt no disgust and i was just like cleaning up this guy's vomit on the floor <laughs> it's like you had you you had a spiritual awakening <laughs> in the cement rhino at 4 a.m with your friend's vomit on your hand like well it happened a few if days that's a, if that's a caption it's beautiful no i i <laughs> I can, I can, I can very much I, like, am, well, identify with this. I've, I've not had something like this where, you know, 
it lasted four days or anything, but I've, I've seen friends basically, like people call this, um, you can call it a manic episode. You can call it um, a spiritual awakening. You can call it like a, a sort of four, you know, a prolonged psychedelic experience, whatever it is. They're like, they're, they're, there's sort of like correlations with them where usually it's like a sort of feeling of euphoria of like yeah. Im- improved insight and deep, like universal love. And, you know, whether it's, like whether it's a a drugs bit. or huh? I feel like I felt that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, people feel this through psychedelic experiences, obviously quite often. I think it's one of the reasons people do psychedelics um, is to, is because it gives you this altered state of consciousness, which, you know, whether you want to convent, like explain it through like conventional psychology means is like, you know, oh, it's a period of heightened brain activity where different regions of the brain are more lit up and connected to each other and thus, people have you know greater insights and so on but it can lead to like greater delusion um you know you can explain it in scientific ways like that or you can explain it in the like you're actually tapping into so it feels like like when you're in that it feels like you're tapping into a truly higher source of inspiration um oh yeah definitely like 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 this this, there's this big field of knowing beyond our realms of current perception and you can it somehow for whatever reason you're tapped into it and you're gonna it feels like divine insight almost um and you know people feel like that yes yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, people can access that through drugs. Some people say they can access it through meditation. Um, some people, I, I think, have accessed it by accident or because they have a predisposition to having sort of, uh, you know, and this is where it like gets tricky because, again, like if you ask a conventional psychologist, they'll, you know, they'll probably say, oh, yes, they were having a, a manic episode. And if it goes on too long, it can lead to psychosis. And it's like I've seen I've known people who've had this and I've seen it go badly. Um, but I know a lot of people who've had this where it doesn't go badly and they just have like a sort of three or four day period of like deep insight and like they, they, they're kind of a little crazy and manic, but they're also kind of fun to be around. Um, there's some, a lot of the things they say don't make any sense. A lot of the things are like the most inspired thing you've ever heard. Um, they typically don't sleep much and then they'll crash out um, for a little while, sort of come down to earth. Um, I've never personally experienced one, but I mean, I, I might have through psychedelics. I might or might not have uh, temporarily uh sort of felt this too so i think there's i think there's a lot of value in these states um but like all things they have to be handled with some degree of caution because you know um like it can't you know i've seen people go to psychosis because of uh extended periods of of like not sleeping and being (laughs) tapped into whatever they're tapped into but yeah basically you can explain it through a sort of conventional scientific means or you can explain it through the lens of like no there really is something else out there that we can tap into whether it's a unified field of consciousness or whether it's god or whether it's like some other form of magic it feels like magic because it's very unpredictable um and hard to explain well there would have there would have to be science to it uh and speaking of i feel like there needs to be some kind of term for people who are like you know that believe in science uh which seems like an oxymoron sort of but are also like curious about all this spiritual magic stuff because i i feel like i'm slowly getting converted to the magic stuff lately i have like periods of where i go back and forth because i keep hearing these crazy stories and i feel like there's just no way that everyone's lying to me um but i I feel like there's scientific explanations somewhere and like now i'm hearing that basically all psychics are there's 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 real psychics out there and like crystals work and all this other kind of <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say I've, I've been experiencing a similar thing where I've just like had a bunch of 
things happen that I can't explain. Um, one I'm happy to share here is like, you know, because we talked about this once, um, is that before I won the European Poker Tour in San Remo, uh, as I sat down on day one of it, um, I like they, I remember PokerStars like started playing, uh, you know, like their intro thing for everyone. You know, it was before, I, I, you know, I was, I was there like before hand one, so eager because it was like, I think my first ever EPT. Um, and they turned the lights down in the room before the shuffle up, uh, shuffle up and deal and played, um, you know, music like to pump everyone up. And while that was happening, I got this like sudden like rush of like goosebumps down my body and a voice in my head that said, you're going to win this tournament. But it sounded like my own voice. And I was like, what? Oh, weird. And it was, it was so notice- notable. Like I remember like looking around the room being like, did anyone else hear that? And then I won the tournament. And to this day, I've never been able to explain that. And that's the like a data point that has made me think maybe there's like some other realm of like understanding or there's just something else going on outside of the conventional, like linear day to day, like, you know, it's impossible to, you, you, you know, you can't understand anything back in time, you know, like there's no, there's no time travel or there's no like greater knowing there's no great, you know, it, it it like made me just sit up and be like, okay, there's maybe something else going on here that I don't know. And I've never been able to explain it. Now, again, like the rational, you know, the conventional explanation is maybe I always have that feeling before every tournament. And I only remember the time where I like, it came true. That's possible. I, you know, I, I can't say that's definitely not the case, but I remember like looking out for that feeling afterwards in other tournaments. Like, and, and even when I won other tournaments, for example, um, I didn't win many other than the EPT, but like, if I won a big thing online and so on, I was like, did I have that feeling beforehand? I was like, no, I didn't. It was, it did feel extremely unique. So that was an example of something that I cannot explain. Um, that was like the first big tournament you won, right? Yes. Yeah. Like anything. It's kind of, it's yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. It felt like, you know, we all have, you know, there's always this bias we have in us or this, like everyone wants to be like imagining they're at the center of some big grand universal story that's unfolding. And like, I, I want to, you know, I, I think it's important to not get too swept up in something like that. But like, if, if that was, you know, it's like very solid, solid, um, solipsism, solipsistic view. Right. But it like, it really did feel very poignant this moment in my life. And like, and I still haven't been able to explain it. Uh, you know, that this, I had this premonition basically. Um, and then I'm like, it took me a little while, but in the first few years, I've become a bit more open-minded. I still like ultimately, I just kind of like brushed it off for a while and was just like, no, no, no. Like there's, there is no ability. There, there are like all psychics are bullshit. Um, there is no such thing as magic or like any, any of these like things that like aren't already, you know, that's outside of our understanding of physics and science right now. Like that is what it is. I, I was, I was excessively close-minded to this stuff mm-hmm. and and I'm much more open-minded than I used to be, but it's still like, it's very easy then once you start, once you open the door to believing in any of these things, it's, you have to be careful not to completely fall down the hill and believe in everything. <laughs> oh, you know what sure, I mean? For sure. Yeah. But that's why you get the logic. You get the logic handrails where it's like, you're sliding down. Like maybe there's yes. something down there. Maybe there's like a pot of gold or something. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly. Like handrails is a good way of describing it. And like, and, and like, it's like, like but maybe it's music. a bit of, fucking nothing <laughs> exactly maybe it's just like whatever you want to believe is true because like it's all just like everything like all of conscious experience is just made up and like we're all just like 
yeah that's that's the thing like you like you could like go into this like kind of anarchy of like belief system uh where it's just like anything is true this person believes in crystals is real so therefore crystals are real like this person believes that like ufos are everywhere fine fuck it they are you know like like reality is just made by consciousness and if enough people believe in it then it becomes true that's not that implausible honestly at this point like no one really knows what the fuck's going on anyone who's like no no it's just like the big bang happened and the universe will continue like this it's like but why you know like if people are just satiated with that with that explanation of what all this is then that's an excessive amount of close-mindedness like they're like it's not like that's why i've like i now i went from being like an atheist of like no there's clearly no god to being like well actually they could quite easily be a god like it seems also like kind of insane that the universe just like emerged out of nothing for no reason like that seems just as implausible as as something saying like actually it was created for a reason and there is therefore some kind of creator like i i, I you know it's so it's to me like at this point like life is just like i'm like traversing an ever narrowing ridge of like between like a pit of like skepticism and a pit of uh gullibility and it's like how do i like not fall down into like believing everything and but also not fall down into being like okay well like nothing you know i'm i'm this is reality and i this is i i'm going to be overly believing in that and it's it's hard and it's exhausting but it's like i think what the mystery like it's the most interesting part of life right now is like i now like if and i hear someone who said like oh yeah my blah 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 is psychic they can talk to the dead whereas before i'd be like mm-hmm, yeah and not even give it a second thought i'm like huh tell me what happened i i, I want to hear people's experiences but we need to be careful, I think, when we hear this stuff to not like over, like, I don't know. You just have to, you need some kind of guardrails and I don't know what they are. Yeah. Logic, reason. Reason, reason. right. Well, probability, like, I mean, Bayesianism, Math. you know, you're feeling, well, no, like, so, you. Math has a minus. Well, you, I mean, it's, it's like, it's just like, again, like a game of poker because like poker, we just assign probability <laughs> everything, right? We go, someone like we're in a huge pot and someone check raises the turn like you know 2x pot we're like okay well uh, a percentage of the time they're bluffing you know with this portion of the range and th- another percentage of the time they they actually have it um and and, and so you we, we become comfortable with assigning probabilities to that well i i just i just copy paste that framework now into like when i meet something which can't someone who i find credible because I know they're logical and reasonable. And then they tell me something that like, is like somewhat unexplainable through any, you know, that like chat, like rattles my, my worldview. I like hear the story and I, I now give it just a prior probability. You know, I, I'm like, what's my prior? Okay, well, this is evidence. What, what is the, you know, what strength do I give that evidence? And then I'll either update accordingly or not. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's all we can do. But it's like actually trying to give things a probability. Like, okay, and I, I, I only give you a one in 10,000 chance of this being accurate or a, a one in four or whatever um kind of doing something like that too it's more like right. some things I don't think so yeah. but uh i could tell i could tell my psychic experience a little bit a little yeah bit i'd love to hear it Go well on. uh i talked to two psychics to be produ- precise and the first one said something about uh meeting a special girl and the first time i talked to that psychic it seemed like they totally understood me but the later times it didn't really seem like it and I will say that it did seem to me a special girl afterwards who proceeded to drive me completely insane uh, at the point at which I won't reveal all the details right now. It's, in my opinion, it's a crazy as shit story that okay. involves uh, all sorts of scandalous things. Um, 
<laughs> but at some point, uh, I got the whole panel on board because I didn't know what the hell was going on with her. And no one, all these, I had like experts talking to like thousands of women with uh, mental problems and, and, and dating them and all sorts of things. I'm just going insane and whatever. At one point, I got a psychic. And then I told this psychic just her name, just her name. That's it. I didn't tell her anything else. And then she proceeded to tell me perfectly exactly as I felt and as I was dealing with things and what I thought the solution was. And it was not just one thing. And it wasn't slowly or anything like that. It was just like, it was for 15 minutes or so, or like 10 minutes or so of just really fast talking. And every single thing they said seemed to line up. And there's like maybe 5% that I wasn't really sure about. Um, mm. And everything else just seemed like it made total complete sense. And like, what the fuck? And apparently the psychic says different things for different people. And now I'm like, you know what? Maybe next time I have a girl problem, I'm going to come to the psychic and see what she says. (laughs) Okay. So I guess to to try and like, you know, put, let's put our skeptic hat on and and attack this. So, so my first question, my first question is, is when she was saying like when she with her like dialogue that she was giving you her spiel would she pause to see how you reacted no no pause no pause because because like one thing i could imagine that she you know like because I, I think some people are just very good at you know intuiting how someone's feeling um Maybe you, know, that, like, uh, you speak of women's in, intuition like women i think you know and it's not just women like you know people in general but some people are just better at like i can just like if you know someone well or you know like you've seen enough people you can sense like okay this person's miserable right now this person's clearly unhappy they've got pain and so on um where you know so like maybe she inferred that you you know you're unhappy you've clearly got some relationship issues you mentioned then you mentioned a girl's name and so she she can now infer from that okay this guy's clearly got some kind of heartache going on over this girl so from that she can start saying you know i would imagine like if i was to like charlatan my way through this i'd be like you, you know let's say her name's you say lisa i'm like lisa lisa let me get so Lisa's she's very beautiful she's a very sexy woman very charismatic anything like no no okay but you can see where I'm going right like I could see a a path where someone could say say a bunch of things like she she can infer from like the little bit of information given that like you are I may have said something like that does make sense like I may have said something like that in that tone and then she would go and on exactly so then that gives her like a path to like go on and like you know go down that that pathway a bit heavier and that would like and of course because when when someone goes to a psychic we're generally like we're very vulnerable to confirmation bias right we want to we we're already open-minded enough to go to something like this so it means we're more likely to therefore like look for reasons why our decision our crazy decision to go see a psychic uh, you know was good and so we'll be like oh yes that was right that was right so you're going to latch on the confirming evidence Uh, and probably not go into the dis you know the the, but there wasn't like anything she said that was like definitely not true let's put it that way there's only like five percent maybe not true Okay, so, okay, but that's, that's interesting that she just, like, was, there was basically no breaks, and she didn't seem to be, like, responding to your things to then, like, know which direction to go. So then my next question is, is, like, how general were the things she said? Not general at all. It was, like, so Can you give an example of how she was specific? So she said, uh, I mean, I guess you could say, like, one, I guess you could say something, like, on further inspection, there's some things that are a little bit general, but she was saying things like, um, like you're ready to just say, say, okay, what's the problem? If there's a problem, fix it. And that's like hundred percent me. Um, and then this per, and they're saying like, this person like basically had some kind of deficit of within where they couldn't like 
accept like basically an abundance of something and you know it, it looks as though at like one moment like everything's fine and all of a sudden like i've seen some angry faces and then oh there's all kinds of trouble which is kind of exactly what happened um and then they said uh let's see what else do they say uh like did she say any event like she was like oh you guys when you were in france together uh you had a very big argument or something like that. Did she say anything where it was like, like absolutely matched up with an item of history in your relationship where like with a location? No, it wasn't that specific. A... It could right. be all bullshit. It could be, but it was well, very good before, bullshit. Uh, so. Just because my, like my observation of relationships now, you know, I've been through some great relationships. I've been through some very bad ones. Like there's usually a pattern that's quite, cons- and I, again, like, I, you know, I spent a lot of time like, um, coaching friends through difficult relationships and like it's remarkable how often like the same problems arise usually there's some kind of power dynamic where one is considered like one is more confident in the relationship than the other um yeah most of the time like there's always some kind of power imbalance um usually you know typically a sign of like of all the best relationships i've known and seen of like ones where i'm like these two are going to last it's because like the the power balance is like very complimentary in some way. Um, and, and, but anyway, so like my, my point is, is that like, there's a surprising number, like few, you, you can, you can compress all the different ranges of relationships down into a surprising, surprisingly small, uh, surprisingly small number of buckets uh, where you can like predict what that's like for each party and like the, the feelings they've experienced. Um, there's an incredible book that I read called um, The Passion Trap which I recommend you and everyone watching this to go watch, to go I'll read. i watch it. It's, it's a book um, to go read. Uh, if you want to understand like relationships and power dynamics and that kind of thing. And it's like reading a personal diary, which is why that's the one reason why I'm like slightly skeptical of this psychic. If like she gave like, even though they were very fitting to you and how you're feeling emotionally, um, but general descriptions of your feelings is because like when I read this book, I was going through a difficult relationship at the time. And it was like reading a personal diary. I was like, can this author read my mind that I remember feeling that. And, 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 and that's because like actually relationships are really predictable. Human beings are surprisingly predictable when it comes to like affairs of the heart. Um, So that's why I guess I I would come away. Like, I think the, I, I, I wouldn't say that this psychic is necessarily, and obviously I don't want to diminish your experience at all, but I wouldn't say it's a particularly strong data point for like, for like that there's, there's like a bigger source of inspiration or that she's like literally tapped into like, she's able to read your mind as such as that, like, she's just a really, she's a really good intuitor. She's probably a, like a natural psychologist and she's like, she just understands how people, how people feel in relationships really well. Um, well, that's why I, I want to test it more. Maybe, I mean, it's possible, but she's also like, uh i at least to a friend well my my best theory is like someone like basically told her a bunch of information uh beforehand i mean this is possible (laughs) and then uh like basically someone else was in on it this is my personal possible theory how did you Uh, meet this did someone send you to her or yeah someone sent sent me to her was she expensive Uh, no not really she was like like over a week in advance maybe it's all maybe yeah it could totally be all nonsense like i i could definitely see i that. mean it can be or or it can be like the more nuanced thing which is that actually that i don't know I, i'm trying to think of some like, stories i've heard where like people um 
actually funny enough someone i was speaking to the other day was telling me about her son who when he was four years old would like you know would like turn to her and she's like he, he was like mom you know i'm totally fine with you if you want to date you know i know you're not with dad anymore you should date other people but let me have insights like don't keep anything from me and she was like what this is a very like very emotionally mature thing to come out of a four-year-old and then at like six years old or ten years old she would show him a picture of someone and he would be able to infer and say so much stuff about this but like freakish amounts of things about this person's life and i i and i take this person who told me this story pretty seriously because I, I, you know they they um, I don't think they're embellishing much. Let's put, let's put it that way. Um, and so like, that would be like a slight, you know, so that might be an example of someone who does seem to have some like bizarre amount of like ability to read, you know, like maybe they can just see, you know, it, it, like extrapolate information from a very small amount of information, right? Because that's like kind of what you're saying a psychic is. It's like, yeah. they will get a very small amount of information. Like they see your face on a photograph or in person. And then they can just, extrapolate out from there and like see your life's history or people who you you know you've been friends with or lost or whatever um you know that's that's like a sort of a, a more uh i guess it was like a comp- uh, computational science way of looking at it um, well the thing is the psychic has like i don't know what information the other person is given i i want to keep testing just to make sure but apparently psychics write 100 percent of the time and doesn't say the same thing like at all uh, and if it matters at all, I tried twice and she basically said the same thing. Um, that's I something very similar the second time. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's, but I, I mean, don't know that's... if she knew it was me, you know? Right. Well, you mean you're Googleable, you're famous. Well, it's, yeah, but I didn't sign up that way or may- maybe I did. I don't know, actually, maybe, well, maybe that's what I'm saying. Like, like, I, I think big, you, a big <laughs> you need, you need to devise. And I think we should like, just, I think this is the thing that annoys me about the sort of like the woo uh you know big, big believers in psychics community and like horoscopes and this kind of stuff is they're like no you can't prove that it's not real i was like well yeah but you're making an extraordinary claim by saying that you can like infer that someone's personality from the way that the stars moved or whatever it's like you know the burden of proof is on you to like to like you need to give so much evidence to show that this this very extraordinary claim is true and they don't go out and run like controlled trials on this you know, like, go do the science, like, go hire some data scientists, go out and actually, like, use the scientific method to find out if this, you know, because if it turns out that you can predict, let's say, some, you know, what someone's life is going to be like over the next year, be based on their star sign, well, that would be <clears throat> an incredibly powerful tool for humanity, it'd be very useful, you know, like, don't you think, they like, go out and actually, like, you know, make this happen you know build a business out of it you know but the point is like don't just like tell people oh no you can and like make them believe in something i mean there might be some instrumental value in like let's say horoscopes if if it truly makes people who feel again like desperate and out of control in their lives makes them feel some kind of agency and like safety sure fine but again like these things can become unhealthy if they're then like not actually thinking about the world in a critical like reasonable way like or accurate way there's a you know there's only certain there's some amount of inaccuracy that might be helpful but beyond a certain point you know if you just go around having like patently false beliefs about the world you're just not going to do very well you're not going to be able to make you know make the world you make your life turn out how you want it to um because you're just not making good predictions so so like if you you know like my, my sort of call to action to the to the like let's say the horoscope community is like Okay, go 
you think that uh, your date of birth determines your personality go and like uh, you, you know set up a personality testing website get like a million people to take it and make them input their date of birth and then go and get a data scientist to look at it and see if there's any like strong correlates between like people born in January have this type of personality, you know, because there are actually good, like there's like the uh, Myers-Briggs and um, Enneagram and all these different things, which are actually pretty reason, like they're not perfect, but you can, uh, like you do notice that there are like a fixed number of different types of personalities that people typically fall into. So see if that lines up to date of birth. Um, Why hasn't anyone done this study? You know, like, I think that would be, if you want people to believe in horoscopes, then go do a study that is like, you know, publish a scientific paper where people can scrutinize your method and look at your results and agree or not, you know, like, and find out, you know, with more, you know, some certainty whether or not this is true. Until you do that, I'm sorry, like, you can't go expecting, you know, you can't go being upset when people don't believe in horoscopes, because you're just making an extraordinary claim without really any evidence to back it up. No, I, I, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much on board. Although I want to, and again, the same with same with the same with psychics. Like, yeah, no, I think so too. Uh, this needs to be tested more. I you've actually put, like, not real. you could shatter my beliefs. I don't give a shit. <laughs> maybe in front of everyone, whatever. Uh, it wasn't good news anyway. By the way, it wasn't really good news. Uh, did did you did it like, did it make you? Huh? Oh, it was horrible news. Like, did it no, make no, you? No, no, no. It wasn't horrible news. It was it was basically. It was pretty, it was about what I thought. Um, and I was just letting it fuck with me a lot more than it should. Uh, what were you saying? That's helpful. That's great. Like, if that's the thing. Like, I, I'm all for, if like you came away from that psychic interaction with a greater clarity about what you should do to make your life better, fucking great. Like, that's an example, again, of one of these like helpful, like useful fictions. Um, well, you know, that's, that's can be wondered more, to be honest. It's hard to like take the psychic's word or like, hundred percent i i mean i was sitting here thinking wow i still don't believe her but you know maybe it's true let's see what she says about other stuff uh yeah i guess i guess you just like like perhaps before you go in to see her next time like have (laughs) some like have like a bunch of you know benchmarks if she manages to hit like something of this level of accuracy well now it's going to update you to like 90 percent confidence in her or you know like you can divide like have a pre-defined set of benchmarks that you want her to hit because let's say she's a perfect 100 percent psychic you know you could go in there with something in your head like i yesterday i went for coffee and nearly ran over a cat and visualized black cat black cat black cat or something like you know some something that you want to try and you would assume that if you had it in your head, the psychic would be able to pick up and go in there and test it, you know? And so if she doesn't pass that benchmark, you, you know, you know that she's, you, your confidence can't be above this level and so on and so forth. Have like, like have a bunch of like benchmarks that you see if she can hit. Um, and, and um, you know, that's, that's one way to test it, I guess. Clearly education of some kind for kids uh, is quite a big area of impact. Um, and I personally wanted to ask you what your thoughts on using gaming and potentially poker would be for uh, for that area. Yeah, so I think, um, so I guess a way to like answer this question is like, do I think it would be a net positive or negative? Let's say if- well, You could put it a, net some positive. Form, like if, if, if for like that, for example, a, in, in into the like national curriculum in k-12 schools 
that there was a a weekly lesson in some kind of like toy game of poker for for kids where they where they play and then they talk about what their thought process was and how they thought through the problem and so on um you know not saying like they should actually like betting money or anything like that if there was a way to like design it so that it's like not considered gambling per se but it's like teaching them you know the like that betting on things and like evaluating whether someone's telling the truth or not or like you know what you want to happen you know like learning like like sunk cost fallacy and this kind of thing um if there was like a weekly k-12 class that all kids had to do on that that was taught designed well and taught well would i do i think it's a positive or negative for like say the outcomes of america in 20 years uh i would say yes provided that it's designed really really well and you know it's taught well and that would be the problem is that like, how do you teach teachers to teach something like that who aren't poker players themselves? It's going to be tricky. Um, but if that could be done, I think it'd be an incredible, incredible thing for a country like America or whatever, um, because it's just so it's, it's teaching rationality, but you know, there's many different paths to like uh, making better decisions. You know, some people get there through a career in science and understanding the scientific method. Some people get there through like, trial and error like being a business person and like you know failing multiple times and learning that way and like understanding like biases you know confirmation bias sunk cost fallacy all these different things um poker is another path to it uh poker might be the most like in my opinion like the funnest path to it um reading less wrong.com is another path to it um you know so the point is is like I, I, I anything that teaches kids about decision making and like betting on beliefs, thinking in probabilities, understanding the role of intuition versus logic in decision-making, understanding the, like, how, like the importance of sample sizes um, and like the role luck can play and in, in like, in terms of like noisy, you know, looking for signal in the noise and that kind of thing. Anything that teaches these to children would be better than the current situation because we are not like, at least my experience of like, and I went to a good school in the UK, very good school. But ultimately I was like, taught like I didn't really understand what the scientific method was and I, I was like really good at science you know it wasn't until I went to university and I like, read it myself I was like oh this is actually what science is about it's not about like this you know calculating doing math and 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 uh, you know understanding you know knowing that this equals that and so on no it's it's a, it's a line of inquiry it's about like designing experiments to find out you know testing hypotheses and like that's what science is at its core it's 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 a it's a method of inquiry and we're not really explaining that properly to children where they actually come away really understanding what it is um you know when you know when you hey kid when you go out and like poke a, a, a bee's nest with a stick to see what happens you're doing science it's not perhaps the best designed experiment but that's science kids you know like uh, and and it's and it's 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 taught all wrong and similar similarly like you know, when you're testing a hypothesis, you know, you want, if you really want that hypothesis to be true, then you're going to have some bias to look for all the confirming evidence and, 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 and ignore the disconfirming evidence. Like, like that, that wasn't taught. I didn't understand that until I started doing poker. Expected value. How the fuck that isn't taught in like K-12 school is, is insane because it's one of the most important concepts for decision making. And it's super simple. It's really a very simple formula. I didn't, I didn't learn that until, again, I got into poker you know, or like, you know, I got interested in investing, but I was like, I had to teach myself that at like age 24 or whatever. Like, it's insane that these things aren't taught in high school because they're so powerful. Uh, you know, they're so useful for like actual life. Um, so yes, I think poker is a great vehicle for that. And, uh, you know, if, if I, if I found out there was a school that was teaching it and I have kids, I would 
choose that school over you know provided they're teaching it well which i think they probably are they'd be teaching it better than anyone else um i would send my kids there in a heartbeat yeah okay uh i have the, the feeling that it's useful also um but i personally just don't know how to prove it and if like for sure it seems like it for sure has some kind of effect but it's really kind of nebulous uh, especially well, how to <laughs> i mean i a way that you could do it is like, why don't you, you know, you're better equipped than anyone to like try and teach poker. Like think about a way, how would you design, how would you explain a game of poker to a seven-year-old? How would you explain it to a 12-year-old? But then how would you also like design it in a way where it like minimizes the chances where they go away thinking that they should be gambling for stuff all the time, you know? Like yeah, yeah. that's like- that is always all the natives. Right, exactly. Um, and by the way, I think a big part of the negative is more just like parental perception. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad if I found out like if my if my yeah, kid got sent to school because they were actually like playing poker with their friends, like betting sweets or something, and they're like, oh, they were gambling. I'd be honestly like kind of proud of my kid. <laughs> like, good for you, like entrepreneurial spirit. As long as like I explain to them, like you know, you you teach them, like, well, look, sometimes you know if you. If you if you end up betting for too many sweets or too much of you know your pocket money, that's going to hurt your friend for this reason. You know, like it, teach them that lessons of like not doing harm onto their opponents and being gracious in winning or gracious in defeat. Um, well, then you know, I'd be I'd be happy for my kid to be doing that. Honestly, I would say poker is one way to balance the playing a less than zero sum game in the context of a greater than zero sum game. Yes, that's a very very nice way of putting it. Uh, yeah. which seems to apply to life because capitalism has to exist and all this other stuff like sexual capitalism is that a thing um i guess that's a thing sure. uh, all these other kinds of fun and stressful ideas um i just uh, i personally view that to be an area of of strong focus for a lot of reasons um and uh, I remember, I know that you made a video on it yourself, or at least that, on the idea of poker as education. So I was curious what you think. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about or anything that you'd like to promote or? Um, not specifically. I mean, I would love for people who haven't seen it to go and check out my last video, the, this one on the Beauty Wars and Moloch. Um, Happy to promote that. I mean, I, I, would, I particularly would love poker players' feedback on it. Um, or the people likely to be watching this just because they get game theory and they also have probably like tried to explain it to normies a lot and so that's what I'm obviously trying to do and I feel like you know so poker players would have good good insight on how to do it um, you know because I want to be I'm, I'm sort of slowly working on the next installment of the series uh, the, next, the the, the follow-up video on this topic so um, yeah if I would promote anything then it's that um, uh, I, I guess the other thing is I'm going to be I'm starting a podcast soon with a with, with a friend, um, my friend Grimes. Um, oh which, yeah, yeah. Well, but it's I, I mean I don't know if I, there's any point in me promoting it right now because it's not out yet, but it'll be coming out hopefully in a few months uh, once we've recorded enough episodes. Um, and otherwise, yeah, actually, if I was anywhere, I would direct people to go read. Um, go go read the meditations on moloch blog um because it's again it's something i think poker players will love it's it's one of the best pieces of writing i've ever read um and it explains how game theory is like how you know how competitive dynamics are making can, can make things make the bad bad things in society um 
And we need more people thinking about how to fix this. And poker players are a great pool of very smart minds. So uh, maybe if you can include it in the show notes, this oh. the link to that blog, that would be awesome. Sure. I okay. didn't write it. Okay, this, these ones I'll remember. Uh, but I'll, yeah, I'm happy to. I like, I like both of them, actually. I could say that I love both of them, in fact. I thought they were... <laughs> I thought I thought uh, it took me into the meditations of Moloch. I didn't understand the poem in the beginning, but it seems to tie into things that I personally thought found validity to. And yeah, it's, it articulately describes all these dynamics of what's going on in the world and the, the things that have been changing in various directions and all of that. Yeah. Cool. cool. Um, yeah. And I thought your video was very well done, especially for <laughs> that's your first production yeah i mean it's not the first video i've made but it's it, it was the most like intense one i've done let's put it that way so yeah all right cool uh, yes thanks for uh thanks for your time liv uh really uh, you've been a great um participant in the show and had a, a lot of amazing thoughts and uh yeah it's been a long podcast but yeah, appreciate the effort and your insights onto this Moloch subject and effective altruism and all that. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to talk. All right. Well, see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Winning the Game of Life. Tune in next week for another great episode. Of course, hit subscribe and follow Dan on Instagram at the Dan Cates.